Nicholas Rippold, no comment. <laughs> Michael Koreski. Nick Pinkerton. All right. So we're starting off the year, this Sausage Fest, to talk about performances. Uh, last Thursday, they announced uh, the nominees of the Academy Awards. And rather than talk about that, we're going to talk about what we want to talk about in terms of performance in 2015. So. Um, and beyond. Know, and beyond. <laughs> and looking to the future. So um, let's start with styles of performance. Um, sure, I'll start. Though I know some, certain people on the panel will jump in and want to talk about this one, only because I just finally watched it last week. I'm embarrassed to say because it's after all the polls happened mm. and I, it should have been included in so many lists, but um, I finally watched Heaven Knows What, mm. which I missed in the theater, and I'm regretting that because it's quite a beautiful movie. Um, and the performance style just blew me away i mean you have ariel holmes it's who's a non-professional she's not an actress it's based on her life so she's performing herself in a way but she's doing this i guess gritty naturalistic not really documentary style it's a performance but it's 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 based on herself so she's not she's not method she's not an actor but what she gets at is so completely authentic and genuine and actually I would say she's a better actor than a lot of the actors that we see getting nominated for awards. I was really surprised by that. And I think the way that she acts has an effect on the other people in the movie around her, one of whom, um, Caleb Landry-Jones, mm-hmm. I assumed while watching it was also a non-professional. And then I looked him up and realized that he, he is. He's been in many films. And I think it seems like Ariel Holmes' particular style of acting actually influence the actors around her to to reach this amazing level of authenticity well from everything i've heard about caleb landry jones and q a's and uh admittedly glancing uh encounters in the festival circuit he's a pretty tetchy guy so it seems like everybody's sort of bringing their kind of existential selves uh to bear in that movie and that's something we talked about a little bit last time i was in here these movies which really depend upon the essence of the performer heaven knows what being one i talked a little bit about uh, ventura and horse money Uh, somebody else brought up tangerine Uh, and there are probably some other performances though none are uh, popping right to mind that uh, are in that category where you're you're not seeing character work so much as you are seeing somebody you know bringing their essential self uh, to bear in front of the camera. I mean, something that's also interesting to me about uh, Heaven Knows What is the style of uh, your street presence, in a way, and, and how they interpret it. You know, you think of Panic in Needle Park, obviously, with that movie. When you go back to that, and that ends up seeing so sort of archaic, in a way, that the, the kind of presence they have. I mean, Al Pacino's interpretation of what it means to be, you know... Um, street junkie. <laughs> yeah to be a junkie and and that's interesting how that intertwines with the performer and then you know w- uh, what michael is saying about uh, ariel holmes just affecting people around her um because you have you know professional actor doing his interpretation of what he think it thinks would be how you would perform in, in a street and put across your presence and, and put it put that across and, and it's interesting to see that come up against someone who 
I actually had to do that. I don't. I mean, I don't want to get into the territory of authenticity or, or that sort of thing at all. I just mean purely in, in as thinking of presence as, as a, a part of the style. I don't know. I think also something that's very interesting about the the movie is the way that the performances are pitched to the camera and the relationship that the camera has to the performers where you have a kind of combination of these very up the nose abrasive almost invasive close-ups and then a lot of stuff that's almost uh like from the point of view of a passerby on the opposite street who just happens to be eavesdropping momentarily on some like weird dust up or public argument i mean the the sort of experience that one has about 25 times a day in new york city (laughs) and the way that that um the way that movie is shot is actually a less extreme less aestheticized aestheticized version of um what was going on in that movie time out of mind which came out this year with richard Gere playing homeless and the idea everybody's talking about time out of mind it's it's really interesting to to compare those films because the central aesthetic idea of time out of mind is that it's going to shoot with long lenses from very far away so you're as though you're a passerby watching homeless richard Gere shuffle around and homeless richard Gere behind a window and it there's always a distance between you but regardless of those distance distancing effects it can it feels totally ersatz, whereas well, he never ceases what to be just right there. Richard Gere. Right, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You can't really get away from that. Yeah. What about Ben, ben Vereen in that film? Oh, <laughs> I just like the question. What about yeah. Ben Vereen? What, guys, guys, <laughs> I, change the topic. What about <laughs> Ben Vereen? Come back, on. Back to the real issue of the day. <laughs> well, he's a very dear friend. <laughs> That's the next film comment cover. What about Ben Vereen? (laughs) (laughs) The Albert Chaz line. Very dear friend. I've known him for 40 years. (laughs) The thing that Ben Vereen says and all that jazz every time. Anyway. um, But uh, but also about heaven knows what to to go into something else is this this idea of um, the way actors feed off each other. I think that that's not really talked about much. We tend to talk about performances as these isolated things, Mm -hmm. right? These people acting in their own spaces their own discrete units but i mean look at clouds of sils maria yeah i mean look at the look at the way those actors bounce off each other I mean, we all know julia binoche is amazing to watch she's she was in that bruno dumont film playing camille claudel alone staring at the camera and she's incredible but then look at her acting off of Kristen stewart i mean those are i don't think anything that i saw this year was more thrilling acting wise than watching those two i concur Nick, were there were there any um, films I guess that you've watched in the gap between list making time and uh, and now that you know have really struck you in terms of performance? Yeah, maybe also just along those lines of interesting like pairings of people who had interesting dynamics. I mean, yeah. well, I will say since last I was uh, in the luxurious film comment studios, uh, <laughs> I saw Animalisa, a movie that you were teeing off on. <laughs> And I think that that is just chock-a-block with really beautiful voice performances. Uh, I would be hard-pressed to name just one, but of course there are only three. And that's not a category that people tend to go to when talking about you know year-end performances, but the mellifluousness of uh, particularly some of the... the uh, 
climactic scene, let's call it, uh, on the podium in Animalisa, I found just tremendously moving. So in as much as I've done any catching up and been impressed by something, that would be it. Well, I I remembered what I was going to throw out there, is that I feel like by the virtue of the nature of how films are made now, um, actors are sort of like separated more from each other. And they're very, and I mean, I'm thinking, I'm going to give a television example, and hopefully this is the last mention of television I'll make. But um, when they revived uh, Arrested Development, it was very clear that these are like, this is the only time that their schedules lined up. So they shot these scenes together and then they shot all this stuff separately and then it was combined to form a cohesive whole. And it really didn't cohere because you don't, they don't have that um, chemistry and that sustained sense of rhythm that you would get if you were shooting in a normal style. And I think it is, it's increasingly common to do that. So I guess that's sort of a production related sea change. Of course, that ties back into the Anomalisa mm-hmm. question about performance. Just animated films, the, the actors are conventionally in their own places. They're not interacting with each other. They record their their parts separately. I don't know if do you know if anything was done differently on that film? I, I know because nothing it's in, whatsoever. Because it's interesting when you can actually feel any authenticity or vividness or interaction between people in an animated film. Because normally you're listening to things that were just created patchwork style from different studios. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I, we, I mean, we, we interviewed um, Charlie Kaufman and Duke Johnson for, um, for film comment and, and he talked a little bit about that and it said, uh, and yeah, that, that they did have like a particular dynamic that, that obviously was working well. Um, and also his uh, Kaufman having an idea of Tom Noonan's voice in every sense of the word was obviously also key um, to him feeling he had the freedom to, you know, let him ventriloquize the world like uh, as he does. Um, that that sort of vaguely malevolent neutrality <laughs> yeah. that yeah. only yeah. Tom Noonan can can bring to the table. No, and, and it's and it's absolutely perfect for for that movie where it's just this sense that that, that something's just gone wrong with the world, <laughs> and and uh, you know we've all just given in somehow to the, to some sort of uniformity or homogeneity um and and on the surface it all looks okay because we all look identical but there's that seething you know edge to it um that yeah is just you know starting to 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 break through at any point there's like a jagged cardboard quality to to tom noonan's voice yeah yeah tom noonan long may he roam well, I guess maybe we could talk about um, voice in non-animated films now. Were there any performances where you feel like, you know, that was a defining... Because, th- again, it's a major trend uh, this year, and it seems to continue into the future. It's based on a true story, and part of that, tr- the, the truthiness of these films is that the, the actors are really nailing an impression or you know it's sort of you know it's like uh taking it back to saturday night live in the 90s when you would you know before you there was the threat of like the real person popping out and being like oh i'm in on this joke you know you would have somebody like dana carvey really nailing these voices or doing these insane interpretations of voices so did you feel that there were were there any sort of particularly live action moving or remark or interesting let's say uh, vocal performances. Well, I mean, I, offhand, 
Ice Cube's son looks a lot like Ice Cube and straight out of Compton. It was very, very cunning of him yeah, to I don't know that if that's way. an achievement per se. But Genetically. He's a dead ringer for the old man. So I can't help but doff my chapeau to that. Um, the Big Short is an example of a movie where I feel like actors aren't interacting and they're acting for the camera and they're doing impressions. Okay. So that probably synthesizes everything. I mean, when that movie starts and it's Christian Bale doing his thing with his eye and being all manic and drumming with the air whatever he's doing he's doing it directly at the camera and that felt like a saturday night live skit to me and Mm -hmm. not that i'm just tying this into any sort of idea of how adam mckay makes films or that he's essentially sketch comic but um i felt like because the four main characters are isolated within their within their narratives there was a lot of that in the movie i felt like steve carell's acting for the camera christian bale's i think always acting for the camera um and yeah, Ryan Gosling as well. There's, the, it's the, they're all so performative, and I know that's the point, and it kind of worked actually. I mean, I, I actually enjoyed a lot of that movie, but um, to a point. But uh, Christian Bale is is also so many people said like he met the person and studied the person, and he was doing the intonations, and he just he's such a technical actor, he just nails everything down. But it always just like you know loses something for me. Mm-hmm. Um, what what were the like biopic? films this year i'm kind of racking my brain now well, danish girl but that's not that you can't really I mean, that's not really oh there was of course the film on everyone's person. lips trumbo yes. <laughs> <laughs> cranston just gets trumbo <laughs> it's like i'm watching trumbo up there from what i hear he he holds his cigarette holder just like dalton trumbo did I mean, I know we have Tom Hiddleston as Hank Williams Jr. on the horizon, which oh, did uh, anyone see that? I anticipate with dread, but... <laughs> no, he's not junior. He's the first. Oh, I'm sorry. Senior, yes. Yeah. Even better. Not yeah, Hank 1. <laughs> We're up to Hank 3 now. A Hank 3 biopic. <laughs> that would actually be interesting because he does very good country songs and then also uh, very intense black metal song. Or just regular metal, but anyway. <laughs> um, I was actually thinking one of the reasons I think Creed didn't do as well as it clearly should have i mean it did find the box office but just critical awards all that stuff is just probably because it didn't say based on a true story at the front based on an old property is what it should have said <laughs> when it came up and then people would have appreciated more how well it was doing that well i, I mean, love sylvester Stallone in the film but michael b jordan is completely overlooked yeah that's bizarre if, if if Rocky were to be released in 2015, you would have to like make a big point of it being based on the story of Chuck Wepner, the Bayonne Bleeder. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I don't know if there'd be a Rocky Balboa. It might just be a Chuck Wepner uh, biopic. <laughs> like Chuck. even that thin patina of artistic license. Uh, yeah, and actually, what's most galling is they don't actually say based on a true story anymore. They say this is a true story, which I yeah. find really offensive. I guess Spotlight also people were saying Mark Ruffalo was doing that person, which is why a lot of people found the performance overly mannered in a way that was maybe even unlike a lot of Mark Ruffalo performances. Yeah. It was a bit manic. Yeah. Like a heel of bread in his mouth the entire <laughs> time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean yeah, I mean the whole true story thing is just strange to me that you need you need to have that referent, otherwise you're are you're, you're completely at sea? Like you don't understand the concept of wait, what's the, a movie? Yeah, how, it has <laughs> these characters are made up. Yeah, <laughs> well, what the, a the grotesque concept. Well, I want my money back. You guys yeah. just made this up. <laughs> I mean, it's it it cuts muster if somebody like has a cape or a wizard hat on. <laughs> in that 
in that like circumstance, but this, fiction is acceptable. Yeah, it's it's like well, it's a beautiful <laughs> metaphor for that. <laughs> clearly fiction, but I mean, just to to go back to Michael B. Jordan, yeah, just to, I'm you know baffled by why that's not um, you know more of you know more more appreciated than than, than it is. I, I mean, I, I really liked how he took this this character, which is you know if you're it, it's so fraught with with um, you know the past um, movies in the series, and with the sense of a boxing movie as a genre, and the melodramatic aspects, and he works within all that and scales within all that, and um, and just comes up with this. For me, it was kind of like the boxer as artist in a way, mm-hmm. especially the way they they pair him up with an actual artist, a singer who gets like a almost like a torch song scene out of some '40s picture or something. You know that opening, you know, in her nightclub thing is is. Um, amazing. Um, so I, I just I just loved what what he did with it. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's an impossible task that he pulled off yeah. beautifully. Yeah. At every moment, you get the sense that he has the whole weight of the world in his shoulders. Whether it's the weight of the entire series, yeah. it's it's the daddy issues that the whole film is based on, um, and then of course his relationship with the Rocky Balboa character. What happens to him? Uh, it's it's incredibly physical. It's emotional. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very sexy. I mean, he's able to do do it all yeah. but i guess it's, it's just looked it looks a little too easy because he really pulls it off also if we're just talking about the academy they tend not to award male ingenues they like to award female ingenues mm-hmm. like you get brie larson you get saoirse ronan but you're not going to get a sexy young man hmm. interesting well i think you really got something on the nose there michael and saying that he makes it look easy and it's such a physically arduous role I mean, going into the ring and performing convincingly is a thing that very few actors can do. And because you don't get the, you know, backstory that comes with a revenant or something like that, uh, that aspect of it perhaps is, you know, overlooked. There's, you know, no big ballyhoo about weight gain or dropping weight, but obviously an enormous amount of prep work was done in order to play that part and be like viable physically in that part but there you know none of the none of the backstory and the mythologizing uh, have been sort of trotted out well also um in a weird i guess it's sort of a double standard also with men um when it comes to men and physical beauty um you know what michael b jordan did to his body for that film is very impressive but that's just seen as vanity Whereas Leo DiCaprio eating a bison heart or whatever he did and, and, you know, spewing snot all over the camera is considered a lack of vanity, which is insane. But, I I mean, in watching The Revenant, it strikes me that none of the the stuff that one hears about uh, ad nauseum about the shoot, I don't really get that from the actual experience of watching the movie. Like, in the way that, say... Uh, if you watch Belmondo in the 70s and he's scaling the side of a building in Mississippi Mermaid or falling out the back of a dump truck in uh, The Burglars, there's something really extraordinary about that because you're actually watching Jean-Pierre Belmondo fall down a mountain or scale the side of a building. He was also like 40. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But these to me are like athlete actor performances which have something really exceptional about them and i never get got that sense at any point in watching the revenant like that somebody is 
I mean, undoubtedly they were going through the ringer, but does it translate on screen? I'm not certain it does. Right, and that's that's why it feels miscalculated when it's so interspersed with CGI, because when I think of The Revenant, I think of that ridiculous CGI horse going over the cliff and landing in a tree. Oh, it's God. the first thing, it's Looney Tunes, and it's the first thing that I think of. I don't think about anything else in that film, because it's just so false looking. Well, I think of I think of the wife floating above him. The CGI is just so terrible in that. Like I was like, why would you even put that in there? Um, but I also think of Hillbilly Hardy, who gobbling really... his mustache throughout. Oh my god, I loved it. It was so fun. It was like the really like it was like that movie is so gloomy and not fun, and then he's just like making weird noises and gaslighting a teen and just being really. It's hilarious. What a evil like how childish he's like he's like a bully and i loved it he was because i feel like he was having he was like okay this the, everything about this sucks and i'm just gonna like be totally hammy the, the old the old blink trick the oldest trick in the book <laughs> works every time <laughs> but do you think that he's um um intentionally hammy in the film he's just i feel like he's been doing this performance now for about four or five films in a row which 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 are those other films? Well, there's Mad Max, which I found Bronson, to be kind of in, incomprehensible. But I like Bronson. No, I liked him in Bronson. Yeah. Um, but what's the there's the Dark Knight Rises. There, there's a lot of grunting, in oh, unintelligible, nice. <laughs> unintelligible Tom Hardy. I mean, I, I, I know that this is a point of um, um, disturbance, actually, for a lot of film critics. But uh, the film Locke, which is Tom Hardy in a car. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, locked in a car. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt locked in a car, that's for sure. It's a film that a lot of people really love, especially a lot of British critics. They really, really love that film. Um, the Commonwealth in general likes Locke. It's true. Can you, can you, <laughs> and if you're listening, you know who I'm talking about, Canadian and British critics that we know and that love. That does not fly south of the 49th. <laughs> it's like Larry Fessenden or something. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of love for... Um, for Wendigo up there, <laughs> which is really a hilarious movie. I'm glad we got into this. <laughs> Can we talk about the performance of the Wendigo? In due time, yes. No, sorry, but to go, uh, not, I don't want to waste a lot of time on Tom Hardy, but um, I, uh, even in a film like Locke, which is, which is a play, it was based on a play, it's a lot of dialogue, um, I find his performances to be so self-consciously internal that... I have no way in. Mm. It's just, I mean, uh, it's, uh, Tom Hardy in a car is the perfect perfect metaphor for Tom Hardy in movies. It's just, he's in a space, he's in that screen, you better go with it because he's not going to give you anything. Hmm. For me, that was maybe more true with Mad Max, and that's what made that movie sort of fascinating to me, or it added to the fascination of that film, that the protagonist is really not the protagonist, and that locked-in sense uh, like it's a ne he's like the negative center of the film um, and nothing's sort of he's not really there and it's cool I think but uh, well I think that's what's conceptually interesting about Mad Max yeah in general yeah. finding everybody was thrilled to find out oh this is not about him this is about her yeah that's that's the fun of Mad Max yeah definitely and uh, it takes advantage of the one asset that Tom Hardy undeniably has which is his just looming physical presence yeah. and the possibility of doing grievous damage that <laughs> he implies just by being in a scene yeah when is he it's like when is he gonna be tom hardy like when is he just gonna <laughs> mercilessly, that, mercilessly those like someone? silverback shoulders yeah it, it gets a lot of mileage out of that yeah. yeah which is good for a movie like that to have that grounding in an actual like 
human form. Yeah. <laughs> because the, I mean, some of the other human forms in the movie are are kind of cartoonish, so it's it's interesting to have that element. But I mean, yeah, physical presence. I don't know if you have any any ideas to talk about that because that's something that's also fascinates me. It's like I don't know. I feels like one of our save saviors in terms of films. You know, feeling artificial for one reason or another or, or shallow there's always just that to kind of glom onto I, I don't know if there are any particular actors in the past year who have, have done that for me for you or for me if you know what they've done for me <laughs> <laughs> just based on their physical presence yeah yeah uh, I mean not even just intimidating I don't I, I mean we don't have to talk about Carol necessarily but one thing that was fascinating to me was just like the the for me kind of stark contrast between inward and outward between um to, to simplify it between like Cape uh, Kate Blanchett and Rooney, Rooney Mara on screen because Rooney Mara for me is always just this person that is I don't know it's a, uh, black hole sounds like a bad <laughs> term but she just has this way of like kind of I don't know it's, it reminds me of once the cartoon character would eat a drink alum you know <laughs> and they just go Droop. and she does that and meanwhile Kate Blanchett is, is totally just uh, you know a grand grand dam kind of character performing outward is putting on the face mm-hmm. so that was fascinating well she's like she, I mean it's it's someone who's blossomed and someone who has yet to blossom, like someone who's still wrapped up in their petals. That's the most feminine, that's the most femme metaphor I can come up with. And but how, I, totally, I totally agree. Yeah, and how perfectly tied is that to physical presence and, and just, you know, physiognomy. I mean, Kate Blanchett has this amazing wide face. Yeah. The eyes are here and the mouth goes here and the nose is wide yeah. and it's just beautiful. And then Rudy Mara has these like tiny little eyes that are close together, <laughs> yeah. and this tiny little mouth. And just watching them across the table from each other, which is so much of what that movie is, yeah. just sublime. Yeah. I mean, I uh, that's a movie I'll be watching f- forever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I would say one other thing that I don't know that I've heard discussed all that much is how great Rooney Mara's vocal work is in that slightly like thick-tongued uh, voice that she has, which seems to belong to somebody who perhaps spent the first years of her life in a household not speaking English, very comfortable, but still has that, you know, Eastern European... uh, It's really very subtle and very, very, very remarkably well done. I get the sense that that's something that Todd Haynes really um, goes for. Uh, If you think of Far From Heaven, the way those performances are so expertly modulated. I mean, Dennis Haysbert's performance in Far From Heaven... It, it amazes even Haynes. I mean, he I, was it in Film Comment? I read an interview yeah. recently where he, he talked about that performance. But I've been thinking about that performance for years. I, uh, when he's on screen, he sounds like an actor from the 1950s. Yeah. He sounds like an African-American actor from the 50s. And that's what he went for, and that's what he got. And it's, 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 it's disturbing, and it's beautiful, and it's, it's so on point that it immediately transports you. Um, and it makes you think about, you know, the, the 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 prison of that yeah. um of course that's a movie about all kinds of prisons um but yeah I, I mean i find i find every tiny little modulation and pitch in carol to be exquisite and kyle chandler sort of under underappreciated in the film that's true yeah, yeah. speaking about um and overlo- overlooked performances were there any others that you feel like you have to come out in support of for the possibly dozens of people who are listening to this right now. <laughs> um, I have one. But. I mean, we were talking uh, just now about physical presence, and I was going to say a word for Liam Neeson, who I always <laughs> love in his 
sort of abashed awkward hugeness and uh i think he and ed harris do very beautiful work in uh run all night a movie which is of course racking up uh award nominations as we speak it's Um, kind of obscene it's just amazing yeah as, as these two guys uh who are you know queens irish uh ex mob guys uh who have known each other for probably half a century and the 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 duet that those two run in just a handful of scenes together i i think is uh just remarkable i have a i was gonna say one then i realized i'm focusing a little too much on american stuff so i, I do have two one is that I think is the best male performance that I saw this year, which was um, Olivier Red Bourdain in Eastern Boys, mm-hmm. which is an, a really remarkable movie. Um, but he is the center of this film. The camera is almost always on him, and he has to go through a lot of different kinds of emotions while the film switches genres. I mean, it becomes a chase film at the end. It's a it's a romance. It's a and then it, it starts out like this kind of almost Dardenne-esque realism film, and then that all falls away. And it's but it's always trained on this man's face, and he's really amazing. Um, and then I, I have to speak up for Joaquin Phoenix, who I thought gave the best performance of his career this year in Irrational Man, a movie that everyone else just thought was a fart in the wind. But <laughs> I I liked the film a lot. I thought it was beautifully made, beautifully constructed, and um, he is just incredible in it. It's it's a it's a tricky thing that he's doing. He's I don't want to talk too much about it because it's spoilery. I, if people haven't seen the film, there are a lot of real surprises in that film. I think um, um, Woody Allen c- continues to surprise, uh, but he is doing something with his body. He's funny. He's scary. Um, the way he constantly has to rethink what's happening in any given scene because he's always lying to people and coming up with new narratives is very impressive. I mean, it's, it felt to me like he, he was also still working out some ideas after um, uh, Inherent Vice, in a, in a way. Um, it's kind of elaborating on that. It's, it's almost like, what if that guy then, you know, grew up and become a professor or something, you know? Because um, it's that same kind of shambolic quality, but uh, f- faintly civilized. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I was also just thinking going back to The Revenant, uh, about the presence of the camera, which has sort of been an underlying theme to some of these things and how actors are playing to the camera. Um, and with The Revenant, I just like to pair it with um, an early January release from last year, Hard to Be a God. Um, yes. And uh, just that's all I could think of Yeah. when I was bored for about 60% of the movie. Yeah. Um, but just thinking about that in terms, I mean, that, that to me is a fascinating movie is just this weird old-fashioned like carnival going on in front of you basically and everyone just you know going in and out of the frame blatantly just treating the camera like it's um, like they're photobombing it half the time you know Um, and yet the whole thing being orchestrated as this uh, you know moving moving canvas um, basically Um, and um, it's strange because in a way like it it lets people off I don't know it doesn't let them off easy but they they get to just you know you know, perform these strange specimens in front of you, and then then they get to be hustled off. Like it's, a, I guess it's a different thing. I don't really get the sense that a lot of those actors are developing a character arc or something in, in that movie, but they are throwing themselves entirely into being whatever little uh, weirdo they are. In, but, well, they don't have enough brain cells to be that's fully true, formed yeah. people. That's right. So that's sort of the. Point. I felt like it was it was really 
playing off of uh, Satyricon that right. way. Yeah. I mean, no, absolutely. That's right. Yeah, a lot of true. Leering, Fellini-esque, grotesque, yeah. sort of mm. popping into the right. frame exactly. just long enough to blow a snot rocket. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> right. The ocean of murk. Or exactly. dangle a chicken legs. <laughs> 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 At one point, they're just like, oh, yeah, that's right. I don't even. For, for the transcript, I was just making a dangling chicken legs motion. It was very convincing. Awesome. Nick does great uh, <laughs> prop work. Um, <laughs> well, I was going to say for um, an overlooked performance, one of my favorite films of the year was Experimenter. And I think uh, Peter Skarsgård, he really anchored the film. And he was able, it was, it was such a hypnotic almost performance where he really it's 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 so intensely personal in so many ways but it's also you there is this distance and it's he he really he handles these direct addresses in a way that's not it, it's it's stagey but it's also it's intimate in a way yeah I, i'm actually glad really glad you brought that up because that that yeah it, it was a just such a curious task to give him but it's perfectly suited to what the movie as a whole is doing which is taking this um you know taking this you know sociological social psychology um theory of of everything that's sadly entirely accurate yeah (laughs) um but also somehow translating it and and putting it in a day-to-day um setting so he has this he he, he's being conversational at times but he's also being in in a scientist role it's I just think of him as like some sort of translator for you know because he's trying to translate um, why do these giant horrible historical phenomena happen on a person to person level, and that kind of mission of 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 that of his particular science for me like goes very well with what he's doing as an actor yeah. there, which is and and the way Almereda has has structured the film, which is a series of these presentations, conversational asides, this whole medley of things, yeah. um, um, which is tremendously hard to do. And I, I guess it didn't really work for everyone from what I, from what I you know, have, have heard from people, <laughs> which is a shame because it's, it's one of the you know, more successful reimaginings of, of you know. Um, the biopic. Yeah, I, I didn't really want to say the <laughs> yeah. word. But, yeah. uh, but, no, yeah. but I mean, I think along with you know, what it's doing formally, something that I think of almost daily is the conversation where he gets in a fight with his wife and then they meet up at the diner and he's like, and he's like, I choose you every day. And that's like such a beautiful, wonderful thing. And it's like a perfect synthesis of everything. Like you say, what the, what the film is trying to do and talk about, you know, the micro and the macro. Um, but well, can we, maybe we can shift gears and talk about, uh, well, I guess, is there anything that, um, we should talk about some foreign trash that nobody cares about. <laughs> <laughs> what would be your foreign trash oh. picks? Ooh. I know you only watch American. You only buy American. I only buy American. <laughs> Wait, what is foreign trash? <laughs> is that good or bad? No, you just drew my attention to the fact that we've been talking a lot about American performances. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Eastern Boys, everybody should see Phoenix. Great performances. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Um, Nina Haas kind of really. Yeah establishing herself as a yeah. force um yeah and bandaged yeah <laughs> only for a little while for a little while but still it's that initial Did she, and there's no reveal scene i love that about phoenix right there's no scene where she takes the bandages off it just cuts and then she's nina haas <laughs> i love that yeah, there's always true. some scene where they unwrap the right, gauze right, right. and then she looks in the mirror and trembles <laughs> it's not in the movie that's true yeah um but it's it's really great um we can talk about Tom Hanks. 
because I thought he was really great in Bridge of Spies, but that's going back to like the most American American of all. There's no problem because that's actually I don't know that people people have talked a lot about Mark Rylance in that movie, but maybe less so about Tom Hanks. So yeah, be. well, that's another example of someone who just like does that thing so completely effortlessly that nobody pays attention now. Right. But you know, he holds the movie together. It's yeah. it's it's beautiful work. I mean, the movie is all beautiful work. Yeah, top to bottom. Yeah. Um, but it's I wouldn't call it performance driven movie necessarily. I just I like Mark Rylance. To talk about, uh, I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because I can't this pronounce. This is like therapy. I, I, I don't <laughs> want to talk about. It. I, can't, I can't pronounce his name. I hate the movie so much, and I can't pronounce his name. So. What's the movie? Well, Son of Saul. Uh, oh. The actor. Oh. The actor. Everyone talks about that Geza actor. Keza Rorig. Keza Rorig. Yes. Um, that's another example of what you're talking about earlier about these people who just kind of like not necessarily professional actor who brings his innate self to a role, but where I thought that he's the the, the aesthetic you know, predetermination of that film is so strong mm-hmm. and off-putting and I think just dubious that I, for me, the performance just disappears, even though he's on screen every single second. Mm. We're in a blind alley here, Violet. We need you to lead us <laughs> out. Okay. Yeah. We're in a cul-de-sac. No pressure. I haven't, no. No, okay. Here's a good palate cleanser. Let's go around <laughs> and say our least favorite supporting performance, like worst, just quick worst. For me, I would say I would say uh, Louis C.K. in Trumbo, who cannot even believably lie down dying of cancer <laughs> and is visibly nervous in every scene with Brian Cranston, like, oh, my God. To, to be fair, that is a hard thing to do. I know. <laughs> but come on. Wait Don't a minute. do it if my, you can't do it. I certainly have one. Okay. Shoot. Ben Kingsley in The Walk was unlike <laughs> oh, wow. anything I've ever seen in my life. I mean, he's except just... Except other Ben Kingsley. Except every other... Except for Ben Kingsley and Hugo. And ben Kingsley and... Is he in the Hunger Games movies? Probably. I don't even know. <laughs> like wearing some... I think he will, wearing some I blue think he hair. Will be now. I think you just cast him. You, you didn't enjoy the Kingsley and Twinkle? <laughs> or the no, I mean, accent. it's just... It's like... It's, it's European. Like French Czech. French Czech Something like this, accent. Yeah. yeah. I wish I could quote a line, but of course I don't know any lines from the walk. <laughs> <laughs> Except for, oh, I want to go in this wire. <laughs> That's all he says for like two hours. Joseph Gordon-Levitt's also not one of my faves in, in that movie. But you asked about supporting. Ben Kingsley in The Walk is just bottom of the barrel. Okay. Yeah. What about you, Nick? I, that's my least favorite question. <laughs> I mean, uh, specifically, what about you, Nick? Um, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know. I'll have to think. Maybe uh, yeah. our, other Nick? Our, our other star panelist has Good Lord. I'm having, a, I'm having a tough time on this one. I don't remember any films that were released last year. <laughs> Not a single one. Maybe you think that as great as Kristen Stewart and Julie Pinoche were in Clouds of Souls Maria, Glory Grace Moretz was not so good. <laughs> I'm just feeding you answers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad at least Michael and I were willing to go negative. At least we had the courage. <laughs> Unlike you, Coward. Oh, for me, cinema is all smiles or it's nothing. (laughs) Well, thank you all for joining. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks.